to be back with you this evening. If you would, please open your Bibles to Luke chapter 22. We're going to begin with verse 31, Luke 22, 31 through 34. Luke 22, 31 through 34. Luke records, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not, and when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. And he said unto him, Lord, I am ready to go with thee both into prison and to death. And he said, I tell thee, Peter, the cock shall not crow this day, before thou shalt thrice deny that thou knowest me. You know, I can remember going to the post office as a child. Can you all remember that? I can remember going in there and I would see some things that was hanging on the wall. We know that as wanted posters, right? I would go in there. I can remember when stamps were, I believe, my dad would send me in and they were 19 cents a stamp, I think, at that time. I don't know, they're $1.50 now or something like that. Seems like, doesn't it? Every time you, every time you go to get a stamp, it goes up. But I can remember going to the post office and seeing those wanted posters. Yeah, I don't see that anymore. Or at least I haven't noticed it. I guess it is politically incorrect to announce to the world who the bad guys are. Right? We, we wouldn't want to hurt someone's feelings. But that is the mindset that Satan has perpetrated upon the world. We would not want to do that. Now, there's, there's one of the main reasons that Satan wants us to feel that way. He's not concerned with those bad guys on the wanted posters. He's not concerned about them. He has them, right? He doesn't have to worry about those people. Uh, Of course, we understand that Satan is a spirit being. He doesn't have a physical body, but he doesn't want us to understand or notice his picture. And what I mean when I say that is he does not want us to figure him out. He doesn't want us to spend any time on Him, on the sinful things that He does in this world, the ways in which He tries to attract people to be a part of His movement. He doesn't want us to do that. He wants to kind of sneak up on us. He doesn't want us to not spend eternity with Him in hell because, see, that's what He wants. Satan actually is the epitome of what we might know as misery loves company. He does not want to be alone in eternity. But like those people who have committed crimes that we see in the post office, we also are wanted. We're wanted. Now hopefully we're not wanted for those same similar things that we see in the post office, but we are wanted. But who we're wanted by is Satan himself. He wants us. We are his targets. The people of the world, he's not worried about them. He really isn't. He wants to keep them. He doesn't want us reaching out to them. But the best way to keep them is to catch us. 
And if He can keep us from fulfilling the Great Commission, if He can keep us from being faithful in this life, He will keep all the rest of the world. And that's what His goal is. In some way, Satan sinned in heaven. In some way, angels that followed after his sin also sinned, and they were cast out of heaven. Now, Satan was allowed to walk the earth, while his followers, the angels that sinned with him, were not allowed to do that. Peter said, For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment, 2 Peter 4.4. 4. So Satan's followers, the angels, they are waiting right now judgment. They're awaiting judgment. They were not walking to and fro like we read in Job of Satan doing that. Job, or excuse me, Satan presented himself to God when the sons of God came together and God said, what have you been doing? I've been walking to and fro. Doing what? Well, Peter tells us, doesn't he? Looking for someone to devour. Looking for someone to destroy. But Jesus has warned us. This place where the angels have been kept until the judgment so they can be cast into the pit of fire, we can also join them there. Now it wasn't originally designed. The purpose of hell was never made for mankind. It was made for Satan and his angels. Notice what Jesus said. Then he will also say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Matthew 25, 41. Now we can choose to go there. And that's what Satan wants. We're wanted by him. But fortunately, if we uh, persevere and we resist the devil, he'll flee from us. James 4, verse 7. I want us to notice for a few moments tonight this passage. This small interaction in the account of uh, our Lord Jesus and in the life of the Apostle Peter spans about three or four verses. But it teaches a lot. We learn a lot about what Satan does in this world. We learn a lot about his tactics. And we can apply that to our lives today. So we can better understand what his ploys are. What his schemes are. What he does to catch us up in a life of sin. So he can help us make our way to hell. I want us to focus on his goals. One of his goals, or his main goal, the only goal that he has at the present, is to cause us to lose our souls. He is a very ambitious individual. And he has a desire. He has a desire. In fact, Jesus said, Luke 22, 31, we just read that, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you. He has a desire. He wants us to lose our salvation. I've often said, and I used to tell the kids, the young people back in Memphis, Satan is a loser. The only way he wins is if we let him win. If we help him win. He can't win. He's been defeated. It's over for Satan. He is going to spend eternity in hell and he knows that. And so he doesn't want to go by himself. He wants to be there with everybody. He does that because he hates God. The best way to what's the best way to hurt someone? Well, I know the best way and the quickest way to hurt me is hurt one of my children. 
right? That'll get us quicker than anything, won't it? I can, I can handle a whole lot in this world. I tell people all the time, it's virtually impossible to hurt my feelings. But I can get my feelings hurt very quickly when it comes to my children, our families, right? And so we can get our feelings hurt. The best way for Satan to hurt God is to cause his creation to go to hell. He has that desire. That's what he wants. At the point in time when Jesus warned Satan, uh, he wasn't, or warned Peter about Satan, he wasn't far from the cross. It was about to happen. He was standing in the shadow of the cross and he wanted him. He encouraged Peter to be strong to fight the forces of darkness, to stand up to Satan. Now, Peter thought he was going to do that, didn't he? Boy, he was proud of himself. He, he had a lot of courage, and I think he did have some courage. I think he was ready in the garden to fight to the death. Remember, he drew the sword, he cut off the ear of Malchus. He was ready to go to battle. But it didn't last long. I think he had a lot of emotion wound up in him. You know, when we... When we obey God or we do something in, the, in, a, in our religious lives based upon emotion, what happens? Well, we wake up tomorrow and that emotion's kind of gone down a little bit, right? We're not as fervent as we were the day before. We slept on it. We had a little time to think about it. We're not scared anymore. See, we want to obey the gospel not because we're scared to death. Fear is okay. Fear can be a motivating factor, James said, right? We can use fear to snatch them out of the fire. But that can't be our only factor. The main factor needs to be our love for God, right? And so I think that Peter had courage. But I don't think it was real courage. I think he was full of emotion. Can you imagine the damage that would have been done if Satan had been successful in getting Peter to fall away like Judas? Oh, God's plan is going to continue. No one's going to stop God's plan. But can you imagine all the good that Peter did would not have happened if Peter had fallen away? See, that's what Satan wanted. Peter was a wanted man. Not just Peter, but the other apostles. Not just the apostles, all of us here today were wanted. And he wants to cause us to lose our salvation. He was making a demand for Peter. He wanted to be able to torture Peter. He wanted to be able to harm him. He saw a weakness in Peter's life and he was laying claim to it, wasn't he? That's what Satan does. He has a desire to present our faults before God and say, look what this individual's done. He did it to Job, didn't he? We're talking about him presenting himself to God. He did it to Job. He said, look at Job. The only reason Job is faithful to you because of all the things you've given him. See, he puts, he pleads his case before God. And now he's lying, right? He can't be found to be truthful. We studied in Romans the other day. Who's going to condemn the faithful? Well, no one can condemn the faithful because God has justified us. But Peter was in danger. He was in danger. He gave place to the devil. Notice what Paul said, Ephesians 4, 26-27. He said, Be ye angry not, or be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. But that's what Peter was doing. He gave place to the devil, and he was in danger of losing his soul, just like those in Galatia. Galatians 5, verse 4. 
He gave the devil an opportunity. See, that's what we don't want to do. Satan is working hard. Boy, he is one of the hardest working individuals, and we have to work just as hard and harder than he does. We have to do that. Because he wants us to lose our souls. He's voting against us. God's voting for us, and we cast the deciding ballot, right? And so we have to work hard. We have to choose to be faithful. And that's not always easy, especially in our lives today. In the culture in which we live, the, the thing of the moment is do whatever you want to do. Don't let someone with a fairy tale book that lives in some backwoods place that doesn't have enough sense to live in the real world tell you that there's someone in the sky that is a, is a superior being. See, that's how they view it. Satan has presented that to the world and the world grabbed onto it. So now people who believe in God, those of us who live faithfully, the world makes fun of us. Right? That's a form of persecution. Now, it's not nearly as bad as what we read in the Revelation, but it's still a form of persecution. We have to stand up to that. Our children go to school and they're made fun of, right? Because they believe in God, because they try to live faithfully. That's by design. Satan has done that. He wants to sift the faithful. Notice what Jesus said. He wants to sift you like wheat. Have you ever seen wheat being sifted? I'd never seen that before. And then in 2008, I went to India. And they were growing rice. Okay? Uh, not wheat, but it's the it's, uh, same thing. Same uh, process. Rice grows. It has a husk on it. Well, that husk has to be uh, beaten off of there some way. So what they would do is they would spread it out in the roadway. People would run over it on their motorcycles. Or they would spread it out and allow oxen to walk on it, and it would crush the husk off of it, and then they would winnow that stuff, right? They would put it in a like a, a, a cloth, and they would throw it up in the air, and the rice would fall down because it's heavier, and the husk would go into the wind. That's called sifting. That's what Satan wants to do to us. He wants to tear us apart. He wants to to destroy us. He wants to step on us. He wants to cause us to lose our souls. That's what he was asking for Peter. Satan wants to sift you. That's dangerous. That's his ambition. That's the desire that he has. He has a burning desire to detain us. To keep us from being saved. That's what his mission is. And let me tell you, you know as well as I do, he will not stop. He doesn't have to rest. He doesn't have to go get lunch. He doesn't have to do any of those things. He doesn't get sick. He doesn't get tired. He just keeps on working. He wants to detain our souls and He wants to be in hell with us. He's going to be there and He wants us to join Him. So we have to understand a little something about Satan's position in the world. He doesn't have one, okay? He doesn't have a position. He, does have, he doesn't have any authority. Now, he is uh, the creator of sinful things. He causes people or he helps people to sin. But do you remember when you were younger, at least I remember growing up, I used to watch uh, cartoons, right? And I would watch uh, Bugs Bunny sometimes. And do you remember the, uh, the cartoon Yosemite Sam and he was always trying to kill Bugs Bunny and Yosemite Sam would get killed and he would go to hell? And he would stand in front of that man with the long red tail and the, the horns and the pitchfork. 
See, that's what Satan wants us to believe. That that's what hell is. That he's in charge. He's not in charge of anything. He's going to be punished. He is giving that lie to the world, so we think of him as a cartoon character. Right? When we uh, go to the movies or we see something that is scary, we watch a, a scary movie and you see all of these ugly looking uh, things on TV. He wants us to believe that's what Satan looks like. That's what he. That's not what he looks like. Paul said he presented himself as an angel of light. Satan is beautiful. He's beautiful. He presents himself as nothing that is scary at all. Nothing that ought to alarm us. He slowly sucks us in. That's how he operates, right? He wants to detain us. If he were to show up and say, I'm here to steal your soul, well, that's not going to work, is it? We're way smarter than that. You know, I remember the, the, the Charlie Daniels song, and I'm not endorsing Charlie Daniels, okay? But he wrote the song, The Devil Went Down to Georgia Looking for a Soul to Steal. And he, he talked to this young man, and that's not how Satan operates. He slowly gains our confidence. He allows us to become jaded to things of the world that don't bother us any longer. That's how He operates. He has a desire to detain us. His mission is to destroy us. That's what Peter said. He goes about like a roaring lion, seeking those whom He may devour. I used to love to watch the Discovery Channel, National Geographic. Watch those uh, nature shows and in, in, in the lions and the tigers and how they would hunt and they would hunt in packs. And you know how they do it, right? They're very good at it. And when they get a hold of something that they need for supper, because they don't get to eat very often, they clamp down on it, right? It's very seldom do, does it get away. That's what Satan is. What a wonderful characterization of Satan. Going about like a roaring, starving lion, looking for something to eat. That's all that's on his mind. That's all that's on his mind. He is motivated by a great hatred, a great Passionate hatred for God. You know, when we look at this idea of Job, it's never been a war between man and Satan. It's never been a war between man and Satan. It's always been a war between God and Satan. Good and evil. Mankind is collateral damage. When we look at uh, the wars that have happened through the years and, and the bombings that go on, and you have collateral damage, right? You have a maybe a hospital destroyed. Well, that wasn't necessarily the target. The target was something else, but it's collateral damage. That's what we are. Satan wants to destroy God, and he knows he can't do it. But he still tries to tear God down by destroying us. We're simply collateral damage. And we have to stand up to that. He will not stop until he himself is cast into eternal hellfire. He's never going to stop. Revelation 20, verse 10. His desire to detain all people is revealed from the Bible beginning in Genesis all the way to Revelation. That's all that's on his mind. He being evil has the goal to bring about complete destruction. There's never been a more dangerous individual in the world. And he understands that sin cannot enter into heaven. Revelation 21 verse 27, Therefore he seduces mankind in the physical to sin in the physical, to lose our souls so we cannot enter into heaven. 
He wants to hurt God because God's goal is that all men come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ and be saved. And if He can stop one person from from doing that, He has hurt God. And that's what He wants. He wants to destroy God. And He uses our ability to choose to catch us in His snare. We've been given a choice. We can follow God or we cannot follow God. Galatians chapter 3. God's not going to make us be obedient. He's not going to force us to live a life of godliness. But He allows us to make that choice. And so the devil is working overtime. So how do we go about defeating him? He has this great ambition. How do we go about defeating him? Well, what about these temptations that we face? Well, he can't force us, can he? Let's think about it. The temptations that affect people in the world affect us differently, don't they? The things that may bother me or the things that that I may be subject to may not bother someone else, right? But no matter what He has done, no matter what He puts before us, we do not have to do it. God will always provide a way of escape, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Now, how does that happen? We have to put on the whole armor of God, right? Ephesians 6, verse 11. We have to put on the whole armor of God. Have you noticed when you read in Ephesians chapter 6, and talks about the whole armor of God, you're completely covered from head to toe on the front side. I don't really read anything about putting armor on on your back. Why? Because we are supposed to rebuke the unfruitful works of darkness. We're to move straight ahead, and we are to fight like an army is supposed to fight. Right? Even when an army retreats, they don't turn their back on the enemy, do they? They will back up until they get to a safe spot, and then they'll turn around. See, we have to be clothed in the in the uh, armor of God. We have to be able to do that. And how do we go about doing that? Well, Paul said we're to be filled with the Spirit, right? Uh, Ephesians five eighteen and nineteen. Be filled with the Spirit. How do we do that? Well, he told us in Colossians three sixteen. Let the words of Christ dwell in you richly. We're supposed to watch and we're supposed to pray and we're supposed to be vigilant. Matthew 26, 41, that's what Jesus encouraged His disciples to do. He goes to the garden. He's going before the Father of heaven and He tells them, watch and pray. Watch and pray. Be steadfast. That's what that means, right? Be steadfast. Be vigilant. We have to be vigilant. Why? Because our adversary, the devil, goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. So we have to do that. Satan has an ambition, but he has some action that he uses to accomplish his goals. And one of the things he does is he brings about trials. He brings about trials. He has a strategy, right? He has a plan. He wants us to uh, slip up. So how does he do that? He has three avenues. There's only three avenues by which he can get us to sin. 1 John 2.16 tells us that He uses the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. That's all He's got. But, He does it very well. He is extremely well versed in how to accomplish that. Jesus admonished. He said in Matthew 7, 13-14, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way, which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Satan is an expert 
in what He does. And so we have to be vigilant or we will enter into the, to the Broadway. We don't want to do that. We have to watch what He's doing. I believe when we look at a person's life, we can basically divide it into three categories. We have a social realm of life, right? We have a social realm of life and many people are vulnerable to that area of life. They, that area of life may cause them to stumble in some way. Young people especially, right? Socially, they want to be part of the group. They want to be able to, uh, to be accepted. And how do they do it? Well, not just young people, but, but some older people also. Maybe they use alcohol. Maybe they use drugs. Maybe they participate in other activities that God does not want because they want to be accepted socially. God created us as social beings, right? We love people. We love each other. We want to participate in things with each other. And so especially our younger people, before they reach a good uh, stage of maturity, they may engage in bad speech. Well, older people can do that. May dress immodestly. Well, older people can do that. But it's especially hard for our younger people. I think we have another realm of life. Uh... The business realm. I think there's a business realm in life. We want to be successful, right? We want to be able to provide a living for our families. And that's all honorable. We ought to want to do that, right? But there are many people that yield to Satan in that area. They sacrifice their spiritual lives for their business lives. And that happens. And we've seen that. We talked a little bit about that this morning in class. That that's idolatry, right? Anything we put in before... Uh, we put before God. Money can be a strong factor in that, right? Look, nothing wrong with having money. I enjoy having money because it's a tool to live in this life, right? But when we love money, when that's all that we think about, when we put that ahead of everything else, then we have a problem on our hands. And we may allow our business lives to cause us to lose our spiritual lives. Notice what the Lord said recorded in Revelation 21, 7 through 8. He said, He that overcometh shall inherit all things. And I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the fearful, and unbelieving, and the abominable, and murderers, and whoremongers, and sorcerers, and idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake of fire, which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Many times money will allow us to give up our character, it allows or it causes us to give up our morals and we lose our souls. Finally, I believe we have a religious realm. Paul wrote to the Galatians. He said, I marvel that you're so soon removed from the gospel. Now this religious realm where people accept another gospel, which Paul said is not a gospel, I don't think they do it intentionally. I think people are sincere in their beliefs. They may be a member of a denomination, but they have allowed in some way for their religious life to get off track and to follow after a man-made doctrine. And it'll cost people their souls, right? We don't need to do that. Paul warned, he told those Galatians, if we or even an angel from heaven come and preach unto you a gospel that we haven't preached, let him be accursed. But here's the problem with someone that teaches a false doctrine. They will not be the only ones that lose their souls. If they influence people to follow after their doctrines, that individual will also lose his soul. 
Now, the individual has to answer for that. But the one that helped them to lose their souls will also answer for that. John warned this. He said, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. 1 John 4, 1. Ask questions. Don't just take my word for it or anyone else's. No one should ever be offended because someone questions something they've taught. A faithful teacher, a faithful Christian, a faithful elder, a faithful preacher ought to want to do right, and if they're doing something wrong, we ought to want to know it, right? So try the spirits. Question the spirits. How do you know that we're the one church? How do you know that we don't use the instrument because it's a scriptural uh, problem? How do you know that baptism is essential for salvation? How do you know that we're supposed to take the Lord's Supper every single first day of the week? How do you know we're supposed to give properly of our means? How do we know that we can help people that are not Christians in the world? How do we know all those things? Well, we ought to be able to answer that, right? Peter said, give an answer for the hope that is in you. Satan doesn't want us to do that. He wants us to get off track in our religious realm of life so we can lose our souls. But he also uses temptation. That, I guess, is his greatest weapon. Temptation. Laying stuff before us. But I want us to keep in mind, being tempted is not a sin. We're not sinning simply because we're tempted. Notice what James said. James said, "...but every man is tempted..." When he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed, then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. James 1, 14-15. Christ was tempted for 40 days. For 40 days He was tempted. He didn't yield to temptation. But it's not sinful to be tempted. Temptation is the enticement to sin. It can be the beginning point of the process of sin, that leads unto death, or it can be the ending point in the process of sin, and we resist. Notice again what James said. He said, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. When we endure temptation and trials and things of that nature in this life, we become stronger. We are able to resist a little better. So how do we go about stopping Satan? We notice in our passage, Jesus said, Satan has a desire for you, Peter. I want you to pray. I'm praying for you. I want you to be faithful. So how do we make a present day application? How do we achieve success? How do we do that? I think first of all, we need to focus, right? I think we need to focus on the goal at hand. Jesus instructed His his disciples to pray. Okay, He instructed them to pray so they would not be led into temptation. Matthew 6, verse 13. Don't lead us into temptation. Pray to the Father that we're guided into truth, right? We need to focus on what He's saying. If God is our focus, then it's going to be easier to be faithful. I have thought often when, when temptations have come up into my life and whether I've been successful or whether I've not been successful, I've looked at those times. And you know it's a lot easier to be successful when temptation comes along and we go to God in prayer. We go to God in prayer. 
It's a lot easier to be faithful. It's harder to sin when we've got God on our minds. You know, I heard a, an account one time, Brother Gus Nichols was holding a debate somewhere with a denominational preacher. And they were trying to uh, cast a bad light on Brother Nichols. And so they had, a, they had hired a woman that was an ungodly woman. And he was staying in a hotel, hired her to go knock on the door, and when she opened the door, or when he opened the door, there she was, uh, barely dressed, if dressed at all, and they wanted that to get out, that Brother Nichols had a woman like that in his hotel room. You know what he did? He immediately hit the ground on his knees and he began to pray to God. She ran off. She ran away. This godly man was praying. And I think God delivered him. I don't think it was a miracle. But I think through his providence and through Brother Nichols' great faith in God and his godly actions, he was delivered from that. It wasn't a miracle. But see, when we have God on our minds and we're focusing on Him, it's not easy for us to sin if we have a properly trained conscience, right? So we need to remember that. You know, when we, when we focus on God, I believe that He will lead us in the paths of righteousness, Psalm 23. We, lead, we sing a song, don't we, called... Yield not to temptation. Notice what it says. Yield not to temptation, for yielding is sin. Each victory will help you some other to win. Fight manfully onward, dark passions subdue. Look ever to Jesus. He will carry you through. Ask the Savior to help you, comfort, strengthen, and keep you. He is willing to aid you. He will carry you through. I think the point is we go to God for comfort. We go to God for strength. We focus upon God. And when we focus upon God we have a better chance of being faithful. There's just no doubt about it. We can defeat Satan. Satan can't win unless we let him. James made a very important point when he talked about the gifts that God gives us from heaven. James 1.17 He said every good gift, every perfect gift comes from God. We need to recognize that. He's saying that God is for us. God is good to us. I believe that through those verses... God is telling us, look, when temptation comes, look to my goodness. Look to what I've done for you. And it will carry us through. I think when we focus on God, we can remain faithful. And we need to focus on the faithfulness of God when Satan comes knocking at our doors. We need to understand He's here for us, right? Paul said, if we then be risen with Christ... Seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. If all good and perfect gifts come from above, all good things are above. Right? That's where we want to be. We don't want to allow Satan to keep us from going into heaven. When we face temptation, let's look above. Let's remember the faithfulness of God. The fact that He gave His only begotten Son for us so we could receive the crown of life. James said, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Each of us were wanted. And were wanted by Satan. Nothing he would love better than for us to lose our souls and be in a, in a devil's hell for eternity. We cannot be obedient to the gospel based upon emotion based on getting ginned up because of a fear of hell. Now, we need to be afraid of hell. There's nothing wrong with that. Anyone that doesn't fear hell, I think something's wrong with them. 
I think that they need to read the Bible a little closer. They need to understand exactly how bad hell is. Think of the description. Everything, at least I'm afraid of in this life, is in hell. Darkness, look, I don't like being in the dark. I like to have some light. I'm scared to death of dying in a burning building. I don't, that's not the way I want to go. Loneliness, I've been alone for a couple nights, or at least one night, going to come in on number two here. I don't like being alone. Have you ever been so tired you couldn't hold your eyes open, but you had 500 miles to drive? Yeah. No rest in hell. I can't stand the thoughts of that. But that's what hell is. I ought to be afraid of that. I ought to be able to read Luke chapter 16 about the rich man who lifted up his eyes being in torments and begged for a single drop of water. Now, I've been pretty thirsty in my time. But I've never been so thirsty that I wanted one drop of water to cool the tip of my tongue. Well, now, that, you, you have to be pretty thirsty and pretty tormented to ask for that. You can't even have a drop of water, can we? Let's be afraid of hell, but let's not allow our fear of hell to be the only reason. Right? Now, we need to understand that 2 Peter 2, 9, Peter says that there's going to be a judgment and the unjust will be punished. But we need to love God and we need to pray just like Jesus did that our faith does not fail. That we can stand up. You know, I don't know what the future is going to hold for this nation. I'm a little worried for us. I'm a little worried for us. I don't know how these elections are going to turn out. I'm a little concerned. But you know what? It doesn't make any difference as far as our souls are concerned. If we live under tyranny, if we live under some kind of fascism, if we live under a dictatorship of some form, you know what? We can still get to heaven. And we can be faithful and we can be satisfied knowing that one day we're all going to be sitting in heaven with God, surrounding His throne, offering praise all day long for eternity. Our faith in the Lord will carry us through. 1 John 5 verse 4. And Satan will lose. And that's what we want. We want to be successful in defeating Satan. I pray all the time that Satan be defeated. I pray all the time that those people that are in league with Satan, that they be defeated. That unfaithful congregations will repent or go out of business. I pray for that. Repent or, or, or stop doing and proclaiming to be the Lord's church. If we're not going to do right, I pray that in through God's providence that they're removed out of our way so they don't affect us anymore. But see, we have to be faithful. Before we can do that though, we have to be children of God. We have to have first obeyed the gospel system of faith through our personal faith and obedience to Him. And that's not hard to do. When we look at the Scripture and we, when we learn what we need to do to be saved, it's fairly simple, isn't it? It's not difficult to understand. Now, there are a lot of difficult things in the Bible that we may not understand, but when it comes to our salvation, we can understand, and it's clear that our faith through obedience and God's grace saves us. Now, obedience is repenting of sin, confessing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, being immersed in water for the forgiveness of sins, and living a faithful life. That's our obedience. That's our part, right? God's part's grace. Wanting to save us. That's pretty simple. If we haven't been faithful, we've done those things, but we've fallen away, so we can come back. God wants us to. When we read the parables of the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost boy, there's more rejoicing in heaven over that one sheep than over the 99 just people 
that needed no repentance. That's what God wants. When we obey the gospel, there's rejoicing in heaven. When we repent of sin, there's rejoicing in heaven. God loves that. And so do the angels. If you need to answer the Lord's invitation this hour, please do that as we stand and as we sing.